Chapter Fifty Four of Maria Nerli. This is a LibriVox recording, and all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aisha One Seven. Maria Nerli by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. True Love. About a month after Sir Duncan's marriage, when he and his bride were in London with the lady's parents come to help in the misery of outfit. A little boy ran through a field of wheat early in the afternoon and hid himself in a blackthorn hedge to see what was going on at Anerley. Nothing escaped him, for his eyes were sharp, being of true tannish breed. He saw Captain Anerley trudging up the hill with the pipe in his mouth to the bean field, where three or four men were enjoying the air without any of the greedy gulps produced by too great exertion of the muscles. Then he saw the mistress of the house throw wide a lattice and shake out a cloth for the birds who skipped down the thatch by the dozen instantly. And he saw Mary with the basket and a wooden measure going round the corner of the house and clucking for the fowls to rally from their scratching places. These came zealously with the speed of leg and wing from straw rick, threshing floor double hedge or mixin and following their tails the boy slipped through the rick yard and tossed a note to mary with a truly flamburin delivery although it was only a small sized boy no other than the hire of the coat fish a brighter rose flew into mary's cheeks than the master cock of all the yard could show upon comb or wattle contemptuous of two pence which mary felt for the boy disappeared like a rabbit and the fowls came and helped themselves to the tail wheat while the mistress was thinking of her letter it was short and sweet at least in promise being no more than these few words darling the dyke where first we met an hour after sunset mary never doubted that her duty was to go and at the time appointed she was there with firm knowledge of her own mind being now a loving and reasonable woman it was just a year since she had saved the life of robin and patience and loneliness and opposition had enlarged and ennobled her true and simple heart no lord in the land need have looked for a purer or sweeter example of maidenhood than this daughter of a yorkshire farmer was in a simple dress and with the dignity of love the glen was beginning to bestrew itself with a want of light instead of shadows and bushy places thickened with the imperceptible growth of night mary went on with excitement deepening while sunset deepened into dusk and the colour of her clear face flushed and fleeted under the anxious touch of love as the tint of a delicate fingernail with any pressure varies but not very long was she left in doubt how long have you been and oh where have you been and how much longer will you be among many other words and doings she insisted chiefly on these points true blue as you may see and a warrant officer already he said with his old way of smiling at himself when the war begins again as it must please god before many weeks are over i shall very soon get my commission and go up i am quite fit already to command a frigate mary was astonished at his modesty she thought that he ought to be an admiral at least and so she told him however he knew better you must bear in mind he replied with a kindly desire to spare her feelings that until a change for the better comes i am under disadvantages not only as an outlaw which has been upon the whole a comfort but as a suspected criminal with warrant against him and reward upon him 
of course i am innocent and everybody knows it or at least i hope so except the one who should have known it best i am the person who should know it best of all his true love answered with some jealousy explain yourself robin if you please no robin so please you but mr james plyth captain of the foretop then coxswain of the barge and now master's mate of hm ship of the line belazel but the one who should have trusted me next to my own love is my father sir duncan yorders how you are talking you have such a reckless way a warrant officer and an iran criminal and your father sir duncan yorders that very strange gentleman who could never get warm oh robin you always did talk nonsense when whenever i would let you but you should not try to make my head go round every word of it is true the young sailor answered applying a prompt remedy for vertigo it had been clearly proved to his knowledge long before the great fact was vouchsafed to me that i am the only son of sir duncan yorders or at any rate his only son for the present the discovery gratified him so little that he took speedy measures to supplant me the very rich gentleman from india said mary that married miss upround lately and her dress was all made up of spun diamonds they say as bright as the dew in the morning but then you will have to give me up robin you must give up me clasping her hand she looked up at him with courage keeping down all signs of tears she felt that her heart would not hold out long and yet she was prouder than to turn away speak she said is better to speak plainly you know that it must be so do i why robin lyth asked calmly being well contented to prolong her doubts that he might get the benefit thereafter because you belong to great people and i am just a farmer's daughter and no more and quite satisfied to remain so such things never answer a little while ago you were above me weren't you while i was nobody's son and only a castaway with a nickname that has nothing to do with it we must take things exactly as we find them at the time and you took me as you found me at the time only that you made me out so much better mary i am not worthy of you what has both to do with it and so far as that goes yours is better though mine may seem the brighter in every other way you are above me you are good and i am wicked you are pure and i am careless you are sweet and i am violent in truth alone i can never be with you and i must be a pitiful scoundrel mary if i did not even try to do that after all that you have done for me but said mary with her lovely eyes gleaming with a glistering shade of tears i like you very much to do it but not exactly as a duty robin you look at me like that and you talk of duty 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 this is my duty i should like to be discharging it forever and a day i did not come here for ideas of this kind said mary with her lips as red as pyracanthine berries free trade was bad enough but the royal navy worse it seems now robin dear be sensible and tell me what i am to do to listen to me and then say whether i deserve what my father has done to me he came back from india as you must understand with no other object in life that i can hear of for he had any quantity of money then to find out me his only child and the child of only wife he ever could put up with for 20 years he had believed me to be drowned when the ship he sent me home in to be educated was supposed to have foundered with all hands but something made him fancy that i might have escaped and as he could not leave india then he employed a gentleman of york named mordax to hunt out all about it 
Mordax, who seems to be a wonderful man and most kind-hearted to everybody, as poor widow Caraway says of him with tears, and as he testifies of himself, he set to work and find out in no time at all about me and my errands and my crawling from the cave that will bear my name. This say and more things than I have time to tell. He pointed a meeting with Sir Duncan Yordos here at Flamborough and would have brought me to him, and everything might have been quite happy. But in the meanwhile, that horrible murder of poor Caraway came to pass, and I was obliged to go into hiding, as no one knows better than you, my dear. My father, as I suppose, must call him, being bound as it seems that they all are, to fall out with their children, took a hasty turn against me at once. Mordax, whom I saw last week, trusting myself to his honour, tells me that Sir Duncan would have cared two pence about my free trade work, and so on, or even about my having killed the officer in fair conflict, for he is used to that. But he never will forgive me absconding and leaving my fellows, as he puts it, to bear the brunt. He says that I am a dastard and a skulk and unworthy to bear the name of Yordos. What a wicked and natural man he must be, cried Mary. He deserves to have no children. No, I am told that he is a very good man, but stiff-necked and disdainful. He regards me with scorn because he knows no better. He may know our laws, but he knows nothing of our ways. To suppose that my men were in any danger. If I had been caught while the stir was on, a gibbet on the cliff would have been set up. Even before my trial, such is the reward of eminence. But no Yorkshire jury would turn around in the box with those poor fellows before them. Not guilty, my lord, was on their tongues before he had finished charging them. Oh, I am so glad they have been acquitted, and you were there to see it. To be sure, I was in the court, as Harry Ombele's father. Mr. Mordax got it up, and it told on the jury more than could have been expected. Even the judge wiped his eyes as he looked at me, for they say he has escaped Grayson. And Harry was the only one of all the six in danger, according to the turn of the evidence. My poor eyes have scarcely come round yet from the quantity of sobbing that I had to do and the horrible glare of my goggles. And then I had a crutch that I stummed with as I sighed so that all the court could hear me. And whenever I did it, all the women sighed too, and even the hardest hearts were moved. Mr. Mordax says that it was capital. Oh, but Robin, how shocking, though you make me laugh, if the verdict had been otherwise, oh, what then? Well, then Harry Omler had a paper in his hand, done in printing letters by myself, because he is a very tidy scholar, and signed by me, the which he was to read before receiving sentence, saying that Robbie Lyth himself was in Yorktown, and would surrender to that court upon condition that mercy should be warranted to the prisoners. And you would have given yourself up and without consulting me about it? Bad, I admit, Robin answered with a smile, but not half so bad as it to give up you, which you calmly propose just now, my dear. However, there is no need for any trouble now, except that I am forced to keep out of sight until other evidence is procured. Mordax has taken to me like a better father, mainly from his paramount love of justice and of daring gallantry, as he calls it. So it was, and ten times more, heroic self-devotion is a much more proper term. Now don't, said Robin. If you make me blush, you may guess what I shall do to hide it. Carry the war into the sweet land of enemies. But truly, my darling, there was very little danger. And I am up for a much better joke this time. 
my august roman father who has cast me off sails as a very great indian gun in a ship of line from spithead early in september the belazel is being paid off now and i have my certificate as well as lots of money next to his lass every sailor loves a spree and mine instead of emptying shall fill the locker with this disgusting piece on and no chance of prize money and plenty in their pockets for a good spell ashore blue jackets will be scarce when sir duncan yorder sails if i can get a decent berth as a petty officer off i go for calcutta and watch like the sweet little cherub that sits up aloft for the safety of my dear papa and mamma as the frenchmen are teaching us to call them what do you think of such filial devotion it would be a great deal more than he deserves mary answered with sweet simplicity but what could you do if he found out who you are not the smallest fear of that my dear i have never had the honour of an introduction my new stepmother who might have been my sweetheart if i had not seen somebody a hundred times as good a thousand times as gentle and a million times as lovely oh robin do leave off such very dreadful stories i saw her in the church and she looked beautiful fine feathers make fine boots however she is well enough in her way and i love her father but for all that she has no business to be my stepmother and of course it was only the money that did it she has a little temper of her own i can assure you and i wish sir duncan joy of her when they get among mosquitoes but as i was going to say the only risk of my being caught is from a sharp eyes even of that there is not much danger for we common sailors need not go within hail of those grandees unless it comes to board work and even if miss janetta i beg her pardon lady your task should chance to recognize me i am sure she would never tell her husband no no she would be too jealous and for fifty other reasons she is very cunning let me tell you well cried mary with a smile of wisdom i hope that i may never live to be a stepmother the way those poor things get abused you would have more principle i should hope than to marry anybody after me however i have told you nearly all my news and a few minutes i must be off only two things more in the first place mordax has taken a very great fancy to me and has turned against my father he and widow caraway and i had a long talk after the trial and we all agreed that the murder was committed by a villain called john cadman a sneak and a skulk whom i know well as one of caraway's own men among other things they chanced to say that cadman's gun was missing and the poor widow can swear to it i asked if any one had searched for it and mordax said no it would be hopeless i told them that if i were only free to show myself and choose my time i would lay my life upon finding it if thrown away as it most likely was in some part of that unlucky cave mordax caught at this idea and asked me a number of questions and took down my answers for no one else knows the cave as i do i would run all risks myself and be there to do it if time suited but only certain tides will serve even with the best of weather and there may be no such tide for months i mean tide weather and clear water combined as there must be for the job therefore i am not to wait but go about my other business and leave this to mordax who loves to be captain of everything mr mordax thought of a diving bell and some great american inventions but nothing of the kind can be used there nor even grappling irons the thing must not be heard of even until it has been accomplished whatever is done must be done by a man who can swim and dive as i can 
and who knows the place almost as well. I have told him where to find the man when the opportunity comes for it, and I have shown my better father, Robin Coxford, the likely spot. So now I have nothing more to do with that. How wonderfully you can throw off cares! His sweetheart answered softly. But I shall be miserable till I know what happens. Will they let me be there? Because I understand so much about tides, and I can hold my tongue. That you have shown right well, my Mary. But your own sense will tell you that you could not be there. Now one thing more, here is a ring, not worthy although it is the real stuff to go upon your precious hand. Yet allow me to put it on. No, not there, upon your wedding finger. Now do you know what that is for? For me, I suppose. She answered, blushing with pleasure and admiration. But it is too good, too beautiful, too costly. Not half good enough. Though to tell you the truth, it cannot be matched easily any more than you can. But I know where to get those things. Now promise me to wear it when you think of me, and the one habit will confirm the other. But the more important part is this, and the last thing for me to say to you: Your father still hates my name. I fear. Tell him every word I have told you, and perhaps it will bring him half way round. Sooner or later, he must come around, and the only way to do it is to work him slowly. When he sees in how many ways I have been wrong and how beautifully I have borne it all, he will begin to say to himself, "Now this young man may be improving, but he will never say he had no need of it." I should rather think not. You conceited Robin, or whatever else I am to call you now, but I bargain for one thing: whatever may happen, I shall never call you anything less but Robin. It suits you, and you look well with it. Your task, indeed, or whatever it may be, no bargain is valid without a seal, etc., etc. In the old but ever vivid way, they went on until they were forced to part at the very lips of the house itself. After longing lingerings, the air of the fields was sweet with summer fragrance, and the breath of night, the world was ripe with soft repose, whose dreams were hope and happiness, and the heavens spread some gentle stars to show mankind the way to it. Then a noble perfume strewed the ambient air with strong presence, as the farmer in his shirt sleeves came with a clay pipe and grumbled, "Wherever is our Mary all this time?" End of chapter fifty-four. True love. Recording by Aisha one seven.